What is memory? Is it just a movie in your head, or is it more than that? I believe memories are a record of our full lived experience, but it's not a perfect recording of the past. In this episode, we will explore what memory is and how to change our relationship with the present by renegotiating our records of the past. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I have discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Welcome back to Physically Spiritual. Before we get started, I want to do some housekeeping. First, remind you of our show notes. They'll be especially helpful for this episode. In the show notes, I provide all the quotes that I use in the show, references to research that I may uh, mention or maybe underneath comments that I'm saying, and I'll also correct any errors that I make in the show in the show notes. If you want to support everything we do here at Awaken Catholic, consider becoming a part of the Awaken Nation. Go to awakencatholic.org forward slash donate to become part of the Awaken Nation. Here at Awaken Catholic, we are also partners with the Hollow app. Hollow is the only Catholic meditation app to help you find peace and grow in your spiritual journey. Go to hollow.app forward slash awaken. I'd also encourage you if you want to go deeper in any of these topics, uh, get the show notes or uh, want some help applying the ideas from the episode, go to my blog and coaching practice at becominggift.com. Before we get started today, our topic is uh, memories and healing. But before I jump in, I just want to make it absolutely clear that I am not a mental health professional, a counselor, and this is not medical advice. Um, I'm sharing information that I've learned and discovered that's helped me in this episode. But I would highly encourage you, if you're dealing with something difficult, uh, anything that, that's particularly traumatic in your memories, that you would work with a mental health professional on these issues. Uh, I'm going to talk some about a, a modality of counseling called somatic experiencing. Um, so you may want to look up somatic experiencing. In the 14th chapter of John, before, uh, before his death, Jesus tells his followers, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, that the Father will send in my name. He will teach you everything and remind you of all that I told you. One of the things the Holy Spirit does in our life is remind us of what Christ has told us. Uh, there's, a, there's a deep relationship between faith and remembering. A part of faith is seeing the past in light of God's presence. It's, it's remembering the works of the Lord. And in fact, the Hebrew word for male is from the word zikar, which literally means to remember or to consciously review something. So it's at the heart of what, what men are called to do in the world is to remember, to call to mind. And this has a covenant connotation, uh, particularly with, with Adam in the garden. He was to remember the commands of the Lord and to carry out God's will in the garden. Uh, so ultimately, the, the man's sin was to, to fail, to fail to protect his wife, to fail to protect the covenant. So we're, we're called to remember, 
But the God doesn't leave us orphaned. He sends a spirit to us that helps us remember, helps us remember what the Lord has done in our life. The idea of memory also has a special place in the Catholic Mass. There's a Greek word, anamnesis. It literally means uh, like reminiscence or remembering. Uh, this had uh, some special meaning in Greek culture. From the work of Plato, a very early philosopher in Greek culture, he believed in the pre-existence of the soul, that our soul pre-existed our, our being in a body, and that before our body came to be, our soul lived in the world of the forms or the world of the ideas. They were, they were the, the universal concepts by which God created everything. Um, so he proposed that when we were learning something, we were actually remembering. It was anamnesis. We were remembering uh, the forms that our soul was with before it was forced into a body. Now, this isn't a Christian idea. We believe that at the moment of our conception, God creates our soul. Um, but on the other hand, this, um, this concept of the forms has been on some level integrated into Christian philosophy, especially in St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine, through, through the concept of the ideas of God. Right? That, that everything that exists, um, everything, uh, organic substances, created things, uh, come from God's ideas. Everything finds its meaning in God. So when we're coming to understand something, we're not uh, creating the meaning Although sometimes, like with the tool, we might create the purpose of that tool that we've created. But when, when we're discovering an organic substance, we're not creating its name. We're, we're discovering what it is. Right? The mind goes through this process of, of extracting the form, of coming to discover the category of what the thing is. All right, so let's circle it around now and talk about the Catholic Mass. At every Mass, we have what's called an anamnesis. And this is a part of the prayer after the, the bread and wine is prayed over and consecrated to become the body, blood, soul, and divinity sacramentally present of Christ. So we have a prayer where, where we recall Christ's suffering on the cross. We recall his passion, death, and resurrection. And we believe this anamnesis isn't, um, it isn't play acting. It's, it's, not, um, it's not like a hollow imagining of what happened before. But we believe spiritually by God's grace that that Mass makes the events of Christ's Paschal Mystery, his passion, death, and resurrection, that it makes those events present to us now. Right? It's, it's a reality. And, and the grace of that Mass is from the grace of one, Christ's one sacrifice on the cross that we're reaccessing, making present again in the midst of our community. Uh, so, so remembering the works of the Lord, uh, reliving the works of the Lord is central to our faith. And I would propose that in our bodies, all of our memories are actually more like that than we might realize. In Catholic philosophy, especially the thought of St. Thomas Aquinas, he makes the distinction between our external senses and our internal senses. External senses are sight and smell, taste, feeling, uh, sound. These are our external senses. But we also have internal senses, meaning these are, although faculties of the soul, they're also functions of the body. Uh, so that would be our imagination, 
our ability to knit together um, our, our different things we've experienced with our senses, our memory, our ability to recall those sense experiences, our, our estimative sense or our judgment, or our, our ability, uh, our base sense like the animals to be attracted or repulsed by things, and then also our common sense. In this context, common sense isn't in the contemporary way of understanding it, that it's what's obvious or what everyone should understand. The common sense knits together all these various inputs so that we have one singular experience in the midst of our external senses, our memory, imagination, and judgment. So, so in this context, the memory, while part of the internal senses, which are a faculty of the soul, it's also a function of the body. Meaning, if you were to hit me in the head hard enough, I might forget a lot of what I know. And some people experience this kind of amnesia, uh, that, that a damage to the body actually affects the memory. Uh, but everything that's human, a human is a body-soul composite, a single substance that is a body and soul, is both uh, a physical, everything we experience as a human is a, a physical phenomenon and also a spiritual phenomenon. There's a physical correlate and a spiritual correlate to everything that we experience in our consciousness. Uh, what, what we refer to as consciousness in the contemporary sense is a lot more closely related to this, this interplay of all of our senses. Although the knowledge that we learn, our discovery of these forms, these universal ideas, by, by extracting them from the particulars of our experience, that knowledge is accessible to our consciousness. But on the other hand, that knowledge doesn't come with images. Uh, let's use an example like a dog. So I can identify a Chihuahua as a dog and a Great Dane as a dog. Right? These two creatures look drastically different than each other, yet I have the power to categorize them together. So I understand, in a sense, dogness even beyond the particular dogs that I know. But on the other hand, can I think of what dogness is without calling to mind a particular dog? I actually can't imagine or remember or bring into my consciousness pure dogness. What I do is I remember a dog that I've experienced. Maybe the first dog I experienced or the family dog I grew up with. Or a dog that just seems particularly dog-like. <laughs> right? In my consciousness, although I, I have access to the, the knowledge that I've learned that my reason has abstracted from the world, um, in, in the end, this knowledge is played out in this interplay of imagination and memory. So when I talk about memory from a philosophical sense, it's this internal sense. But we have to realize that there's this deep interplay in our consciousness between what we're experiencing in the world, what we're remembering, what we're imagining. Um, and then I would also then propose the movements in our body. So psychologists make a distinction between two different forms of memory that we gather. The two general categories are explicit and implicit memories. And different researchers and different scientists, they'll use um, different terminology to talk about different kinds of explicit and implicit memories. Um, so just know that you might have heard these um, defined with different terms before. Um, but these are just a breakdown that I've learned. So our explicit memories might be declarative memories or narrative memories, memories of like stories of our life. Uh, we don't actually start forming these explicit memories until we're somewhere around two years old. And, and throughout our childhood, um, we're, we're really not forming a lot of explicit memories until maybe six, seven, or eight. Uh, just try to remember a lot from your childhood before that age. 
you probably have a hard time recalling uh, the declarative memories, which are pieces of information. This is like the memories you're trying to collect when you do well on a test are your declarative memories. They're facts and figures, numbers, definitions, words. We also have narrative memory. These are the stories. Right? This, is, this is our ability to recall with our imagination and memory our experiences of the past. Right? But these are the records of our external senses. So we can't recall much of this um, before the age of six, seven, or eight, even though we'll start to get some around the age of two. On the other hand, we also have implicit memories. These implicit memories don't come with sense experience. They're procedural memories and emotional memories. In a previous episode, we talked some about these, these kinds of memories, and I kept calling it structural memory, uh, but I was actually misspeaking. It's procedural memory. Procedural memories are the memories that we act out of when, we're, when we've formed a habit or when we've gone on autopilot. So an experience of uh, something that is both a procedural memory and probably a declarative memory too would be something like driving. Like you can, you can drive and sometimes you probably completely zone out. You're not paying attention to what your arms are doing, what your feet, what your feet are doing, and maybe you're not even realizing what's happening around you, right? You're, you're able to almost go on autopilot with a, your procedural memory sort of running the show. And, and other times you pay attention to what you're doing, right? You're working out of your declarative and narrative memories and maybe you, you hear something that your uh, driving instructor told you or you, um, you might think of a traffic law that you need to, to do. The other form of implicit memory, these are big general categories, are your emotional memories, meaning that the feelings in your body, the states that your body moves through. So when something is a pure implicit memory, although a lot of times our memories are mingling of implicit and explicit, declarative, narrative, procedural, and emotional altogether, but if something were a pure implicit memory, there'd be no conscious retrieval, meaning your body would experience it, the feelings would come along with it, or the actions would come along with it, but there would be no picture, sound, um, or like taste with it or anything like that. Uh, these implicit memories actually start forming when you're in the womb. So even before you start having these explicit memories form, you start having these implicit memories form. I was just talking to someone the other day, and they were talking about like reading to their baby when it was forming in, in their in the mother's womb. Um, and then uh, his experience was when his his child was born, and and they he was off in uh, like one of the units laying in, in a bed with a bunch of other babies in the room. He went in that room, and his his child was crying, and he started speaking to it like he did when he read and sung when the baby was in uh, his mother's womb, and. and the child calmed down at the sound of his voice, right? The baby recognized his voice in that moment. Well, that baby didn't have declarative or narrative memory. That, that baby had an emotional and procedural and implicit memory of that, but it was there. We even have a more uh, fundamental kind of memory um, that we don't really feel at all. And this is the, the memory of our cells, and I think it was episode 12, Every Cell Remembers, we talked about epigenetics. But the, the genetic code in every one of our cells, um, each one of those, of those traits in that, that cellular or that genetic record can be flipped on or off through a process called methylation. 
Some of these are, are sort of set, you know, it makes an eye cell different than a hand cell, different than a heart cell, right? So that's, that's set. But then some of these are flipped on and off by our experience, what we eat and how we sleep, the trauma and stress we've experienced versus the safety and comfort we've experienced. So every cell in our body remembers, records our experience in its epigenetic expression. So from a psychological and physical perspective, uh, these are different ways we can look at memory. We need to have just think a, a, an extreme amount of patience and grace around memory. Our culture is very unforgiving of people who don't remember things accurately. But I w- want you to ponder how accurate is memory? Like why do we remember? What, what's the, the biological process that has brought memory to be what it is? Like this physical side of it. And there's an instinctual purpose to memory. And this instinctual purpose is, one, the reproduction of our species, but also safety, right? How to, how to be safe. So, so your, your brain, it's a pattern-making machine, but it's also, uh, inter, uh, it's also interested in survival. So, so your brain actually isn't too worried about all of your memories being perfect and accurate. Like you could recall your whole life as if it were a movie or something like that. Or you could relive your whole life from beginning to end. Your brain wants to survive and it wants to reproduce. <laughs> That's what your, the physical part of you is instinctually driven to. So, so your brain is forming patterns in order to accomplish these ends, in order to, to take care of yourself, but then also to avoid danger. So memories that hold trauma, meaning situations in the past which we've found harmful or dangerous, which we've been sent into fight or flight, especially if we're not able to complete the traumatic response, um, and, and that fight, flight, freeze energy is sort of held in our body, right? This is uh, a mingling that happens with the memory. And, and these traumatic memories are particularly segmented and, and inaccurate. Uh, a lot of times they just come with feelings. Right? One of the survival mechanisms that the body might use is actually forgetting. But then when we do recall these memories, a lot of times they're mixed together. There might be different traumatic and harmful experiences from our past that get mingled. Uh, that even though it, 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 it's pointing to the truth, it's something that really happened, it could be three or four or five different occurrences of something um, that's like that one memory, but, but your brain has knit them together. And what that creates is then in the present, when you encounter something that, uh, that reminds you of that, that is similar to that in some way, your, your body responds to that. And, and that's your brain's way of protecting you, of taking care of you. But on the other hand, these, um, these partial, mingled, mostly implicit memories that our body uses to recognize when things are safe or when things are dangerous – can also be really frustrating because th- these instinctual responses, these procedural memories we're acting out of uh, could be vices that we struggle with or bad habits, sinful patterns. Uh, so when we're, when we're talking about um, renegotiating our memories, healing our memories, it can actually have a, a big effect in changing uh, our habits of sin, our habits of vice. 
some uh, doctors talk about the difference between the left brain and the right brain. And when we talk about this kind of left brain, right brain distinction, the right brain, which is kind of the more like emotional side, more the implicit side, uh, receives and reacts to the, the experiences around us in about 0.02 seconds. The left side of the brain, that's the more like declarative memory, narrative memory, our rational side, that takes 0.5 seconds to engage. You might think that's really quick, and it is really quick. But that, that right brain, that brain that's more emotionally driven, that's more instinctual, is reacting 25 times faster. 25 times faster on average than that other side, that, that more rational side. And this, this part of the brain is involved with things like facial interpretation and, and the, bringing those implicit memories to the surface. Uh, the older part of your brain, as I've said before, doesn't distinguish very well between the, the present, your imagination, and your memories. So especially when there's a traumatic memory involved, but, but any memory, when we're in the present, our experience of the present isn't, isn't pure and unaffected, but our experience of the present is, is colored by glasses that are tinted by our experiences in the past. So everything we're experiencing, our body, our, our state of feeling safe or feeling unsafe, this is, this is being shifted and affected before we're conscious of the shift, right, in this faster part of the brain through the process of neuroception. This is happening in us um, all the time, all the time. And, and this might make you feel a little uncomfortable, like out of control, but this is just being human. You know, there's been, been stories of people recounting traumatic memories inaccurately. And as a result, you know, maybe they lose their career because uh, people maybe pull back previous statements they've said. And, and, and it demonstrates that they're not, that although they're not trying to lie, they just don't remember the truth. Uh, other times people end up in prison because these traumatic memories get mingled. And although the person, something terrible happened to this person, uh, for whatever reason, the brain has sort of connected the stuff in a way um, that's sometimes beyond disentangling. Um, and so the wrong person might get accused of a crime. It's not the person trying to harm anyone or lying. It's just what they remember. Um, they've, uh, there's been research studies done when there's particularly bad tragedies. Uh, there was, there was uh, one particularly um, uh, popular one that was done after the terrorist attacks on 9-11. And what these researchers will, will do is they'll, uh, they'll ask someone the question right after the, the kind of traumatic shared event in society, where were, what were you doing when this happened? What were you doing when the towers fell, for example? And then what they'll do is they'll record the person on video. They'll record them word for word, and then they'll come back the next year and they'll ask the person the same question. And the majority of people give a different answer. And these researchers will even play back the tape and they'll say, you fabricated that. The person doesn't believe that they don't remember. But like I said, the, the brain's not actually that worried about getting all the details right. The brain wants you to survive and thrive now. 
so on one on one hand, we have to take our memories with a grain of salt. We have to accept our weakness. Uh, although we always should try to tell the truth, we have to realize that we don't have a particularly accurate record of it. Uh, and so a lot of times um, when we're retelling a story, there's always a joy in telling it with others, right? In, in going, coming back and re-experiencing the past with others. Um, but on, on the other hand, this understanding that memory is so malleable, changeable, right? And there's this mingling of memory, imagination, and sense means that none of our memories are completely set in stone. They're all dynamic, meaning there's nothing that we've experienced that we can't change. There's, there's no relationship, uh, no wound, no trauma, that by God's grace and through the insights of science can't be renegotiated. So we are primed as humans for conversion. Right? We, we're, while we're, we're weak and we're frail and limited, we're, we're dependent on others. Um, we're also utterly redeemable, lovable. This is, in the end, what makes us different than the angels. Right? The angels were created to know, love, and serve God, and some of them fell and became demons. And the angels are not redeemable. In, in our church's understanding, the angels' decision is definitive. They had full knowledge of what they were doing. And so as a result, it's not just that uh, they won't repent, but really they can't repent. They've made a definitive decision for the rest of their existence. On the other hand, as humans, we, we can be redeemed because we never have perfect understanding. We never have perfect understanding. So, so we're always in a place of being able to be forgiven. So an important concept we have to understand uh, when thinking about memory this way is the possibility of re-traumatization. So when we're recalling something, the, the visceral experiences of that past thing, right, the feelings and sensations in the body, the, the movements of, of safety and danger in our autonomic nervous system, all of this is coming along with the memory. So if we go uh, uh, traipsing through our past uh, thinking of things, as we're recalling that, that thing to a greater or lesser degree, our body is experiencing it again. So we have the possibility, if, if we recall our memories in an unskillful way, we could actually be making the trauma worse. We're re-experiencing the trauma by calling that to mind. This is one of the reasons why, why maybe some... Um, maybe unskillful approaches to talk therapy or, or some people who approach this topic, I think sometimes um, jump into it um, maybe not quite as skillfully or not quite as carefully as they ought. Um, because there, there's a great possibility of re-traumatizing. Uh, so the ability to renegotiate memory um, or a, a process that I've come to know as somatic experiencing was developed by Dr. Peter Levine. Uh, and this is pulling in the insights that we've talked about before of polyvagal theory, uh, insights about memory and about trauma. And it's, it's a process of, of approaching the, uh, the traumatic memories that the body is, is holding from a somatic perspective, from a body-based perspective, bottom-up approach to it. Um, 
But the foundations of this practice are things that we've already talked about in previous episodes. We, we've talked about the practice of presence, being able to experience the sensations in the body, becoming more and more aware of what we're feeling. Uh, when, when we use certain parts of the brain and we, and we practice certain, uh, certain mental exercises, different parts of our brain go through a process called myelination. So myelin is, you can think of it as like a coating around the nerves, but it supercharges the nerves. It makes them drastically, drastically more efficient and that the, the neural connections that are myelinated um, are happening much, much, much quicker than unmyelinated connections. So, so what, what, whatever we focus on, what, whatever mental exercises we're doing, we're, we're probably myelinating part of our nervous system as we're doing that. So this practice of presence this practice of, of awareness of what's happening in the body is changing our brain. We're creating new connections in the brain, strengthening the parts of the brain that are associated with this kind of awareness and attunement. And we're also myelinating certain parts of our nervous system in order to more quickly become aware of what's happening in our body. We also need to build the habit of safety, meaning discovering ways to, to feel safe in the present moment. We talked before about finding safety in something outside, finding something attractive and pleasant to look at. Uh, we've talked about breathing practices. We've talked about interoception, finding safety inside. And today I want to talk a little bit about finding safety with our memory and imagination. This process also requires a lot of self-honesty. You don't want to push yourself. Like I said, the, the, the possibility of re-traumatization is real. And just traipsing through your memories, calling these things to mind, you might have a really strong emotional experience. Um, and, and, and there's even a, a theory of thought that says that, that you're sort of like venting that experience, that you need to experience it to let it out. Um, but the research that I found, I would actually call that into question. Uh, because that re-experiencing is, is forming another memory in and of itself. <laughs> so you're actually possibly driving that trauma deeper. You're, you're re-experiencing it in your body. So don't push yourself. Less is more. And I can't emphasize enough that it is very wise to do this with someone who is trained, especially if you have particularly traumatic things, uh, behaviors in the present um, that, that you, where you find feel out of control um, or, or don't feel safe. So please do look up somatic experiencing, find a somatic experiencing practitioner, or another skillful counselor who has a more body-based approach, this kind of bottom-up approach, um, or possibly a very experienced counselor that, that integrates maybe a top-down talk therapy approach with a bottom-up approach or, or with uh, a knowledge and inspiration of the way the nervous system is working in the body. So this, this process of uh, renegotiating memories needs to be a process of titration, like when you titrate something, you take it little bit by little bit, a little piece at a time, a bite at a time. So it might just be a little bit of the memory or the beginning of the memory. So, so in order to approach the memory, you have to be able to find safety and be able to feel what's happening in your body. I can't emphasize that enough. So the process of renegotiating memory is simply um, either noticing the sensation that's in your body of the dysregulation or actually purposely calling to mind the experience. Although a lot of times when you just feel the experience, the memory will, will come up of its own accord, preferably with uh, someone who's 
at least someone who's safe and trustworthy, but most preferably with someone who's a trained professional, a somatic experiencing practitioner. Um, and in the midst of that, finding safety. So it, it, experiencing the sensation, maybe doing something with your body to, um, to give it what it needs, like you might feel some tenseness somewhere and you might try moving that part of your body, opening, closing your eyes, uh, moving your feet slowly, controlled movements, safe movements. And by doing this, reapproaching the memory but finding safety, you're now laying down new implicit memory around that experience. That the next time that something triggers that memory, it's not like it's gone. You're not changing the past. But you're changing your emotional relationship with that past experience. Uh, so, so you're accumulating a new safe experience in your body around that thing from the past. So this is renegotiating a memory. We can also pray with our memories. Uh, years ago, I, there was a good um, Franciscan friar that I went to one day when I was particularly distressed, and he took me through this process. And I've encountered a few other places since then. Um, Father J.R. of Happy Memory, he, um, he proposed that together, what we did is we, we went back into a memory that I had, and we brought Jesus into that memory together and just sat there with Jesus and re-experienced it in God's presence. So we can do this kind of renegotiation of memory, but in the midst of a meditation, like an Ignatian-style meditation. So you might start um, with something you actually remember that you find difficult, or you might start with something in the present that you don't understand or where you find out of yourself out of control. And you would pray and ask the Lord to bring to mind the roots of what's happening. So let's say maybe you have a habit where, um, let's say every night um, you need to eat ice cream. <laughs> I've, I've experienced this before. So you might go to prayer and say, uh, you know, Lord, every night I can't stop eating ice cream. And I'm, I know my, maybe my blood sugar is out of control. I keep gaining weight. I, I wake up feeling gross or, or whatever. Like, like you know it's bad for you. Um, and you might say, Lord, um, where does this come from? Like shed light on this. Um, and, and he might maybe call to mind, uh, just making this up, a, a memory of, of your childhood when maybe, uh, maybe something happened at the dinner table and you felt unsafe or, or maybe you got in trouble and you, f- you felt really bad and, and you weren't, didn't feel connected to your parents or one of your caregivers. And maybe that night you, um, you went to the refrigerator and got something to eat. And it felt good. It tasted good. And maybe that was the beginning of this pattern of every night needing to eat something. Uh, maybe when, when you ask the Lord to guide you, there might just be a feeling or a sensation that comes with it. There might not be an explicit memory. It may just be implicit memory. So now having that memory, either one that you know or one that the Lord has brought to your attention, any of the kinds, declarative, uh, narrative, procedural, or emotional memory, so it could be any of those kinds of memories, now we, we enter the story right, in, insisting on feeling safe. I can't emphasize that enough. Don't, don't re-traumatize yourself. Don't go back in there uh, just jumping in head first, throwing yourself uh, out of whack. It's so essential uh, to feel that felt sense of safety and to not let yourself be overwhelmed. 
So you go back into the, the memory with your imagination. A composition of place is the term that Ignatius of Loyola used. So you imagine what it looked like, what it sounded like, how you felt, what it smelled like, if you tasted anything, what it tasted like. Notice what's happening in your body. So notice any sensations that you have. Notice um, uh, how you're breathing, uh, if you're breathing. <laughs> notice your heart rate, your digestion. Uh, just notice any sensation in your body. How does your head feel? And, and in the midst of that, uh, call to mind God's presence. A few episodes ago, we talked about this experience of God's presence and experiencing safety in God's presence. Uh, so, so do some of that, spending time with God, experiencing what's going on in your body. Find safety with God in your body. When, when we're introducing God to our stories, we're not making up a fiction. Just in the same way at the Mass, during that anamnesis, we're not, we're not acting out a play. right? We're really making that event by the grace of the Holy Spirit and the power of or, the ordination of the priest. We're making the Paschal mystery present to us again in the here and now. Uh, in that vein, although not in the exact same way, when we're recalling our past and we're, we're thinking that God is present, we're not making up a fiction. We're realizing the truth. God is present. God was there, experiencing it with you. So when we bring God into the story, we are calling to mind the most real truth of what happened. Remember, stay safe, find safety, uh, it's okay to be a little uncomfortable, um, but don't let yourself be re-traumatized. And, and in that space, re-experience it with the Lord. Right? Be present to what's happening in you, what you're feeling, what you're thinking. Talk to Jesus about it. Right? Talk, tell him how you feel. Tell him what you're thinking about. Ask him questions. Uh, be real with him. You know, wrestle with it, with the Lord in your heart and in your mind. And find safety with him. Ask him to heal you. Sometimes the Lord will work miracles and transform your heart, your mind, your soul. Other times the Lord's giving you grace and inviting you in a, a more seemingly natural process of going through healing. But either way, the Lord is with you, not abandoning you. Uh, the Lord will heal you. And little bit by little bit, we can renegotiate these memories with the Lord, with his grace. Um, and by this process, come into a different relationship with the present. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Physically Spiritual. I'll invite you again, if you're working through any of this stuff, find a somatic experiencing professional or a good uh, counselor that's going to approach uh, this renegotiation of memory, uh, of trauma, in inspired with this bottom-up approach, this somatic-based approach, understanding uh, polyvagal theory, the way the nervous system works. Um, but, but also go there with the Lord. And, and in that, um, know that the Lord wants to heal your memories. The Holy Spirit will come to you and remind you of everything the Lord has done. This show and all media on Awaken Catholic is made possible by the Awaken Nation and the Hollow App. The Awaken Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org slash donate.
Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app slash awaken.